GP Insights, a health cert podcast. Practical advice for busy GPs on how to treat with confidence and grow their practice. Today, we're chatting just for a few minutes with Professor Michael Henderson. Uh, Michael has very kindly agreed to present at the upcoming um, Skin and Skin Cancer Conference. And um, the very uh, important topic, Michael, contemporary management of melanoma, a disease in rapid evolution. Um, It's incredibly exciting times to be a skin cancer interested doctor, whether you're in primary care or in super tertiary care like you are. Uh, Melanoma is is an extraordinarily interesting condition and very much in rapid evolution, isn't it? What do you what are you, without giving all the secrets away, Michael, what are you going to be talking about at the conference? Well, I thought it'd be a good idea to try and give people a, a sort of broad brush of where the big changes are happening. Because if I give you a talk today and talk about what our approach to uh, the patient who's got lymph node relapse or yep. who's got a positive sentinel node or who's got a thick melanoma where the lymph node is, is, um, is negative, where the sentinel lymph node is negative, Uh, or the patient who has advanced disease, I can just about promise you what we're going to be doing in 12 months, much two or three years, is going to be totally different. So I think think that's the the problem. And as you alluded to at the start, David, it's a sensational time to be a melanoma clinician. You know, I've spent a better part of my career uh, being one of the naughty boys of oncology because we treated melanoma and the only thing you could do with it is operate on it. Yep. And often not very successfully, yeah. certainly for more advanced disease. And suddenly um, melanoma becomes the poster boy of oncology. And it's, it's just been an extraordinarily exciting time to, to be alive and to, um, to, to see some of the rapid things happening in our patients. Do you know the most disappointing thing is that we see patients who have very advanced disease. Yep. You get involved with their medical oncologists. And then suddenly two years later, we never find them. because the disease has disappeared they're getting on with their lives and everybody's happy we don't talk to them ever again because somebody who should have been dead in under six months is out and about wandering around it doesn't happen to everybody but it happens frequently enough that it's just been a sensational development in our management but there's other exciting things happen and that's what we're going to talk about and and we start at the very uh perhaps i should uh say that i'm going to start at the very beginning Yep. And I noticed there's a talk on overdiagnosis, and I think that's yep. a really important discussion. Yep. Um, we are starting to see the use of artificial intelligence in diagnosis. Yep. Um, Peter Sawyer, I think, is going to speak about his uh, study, the ACEMID study, and use of the yep. Vectron machine. Yep. Um, that, that's clearly for high-risk patients, or that is patients who have not had a diagnosis of melanoma yep. previously, um, yep. who are at high risk of developing one. Uh, we're at increased risk, are going to be surveilled in that manner. So, you know, there's there's some sensational cha- changes uh, happening there. Um, I'm going to have to declare a conflict of interest um, in the issue of margins of excision, management of the primary tumour. I'm the principal investigator of a large multinational trial looking at one centimetre versus two centimetre margins for melanomas uh, thicker than a millimetre in thickness and ulcerated. Um, yeah. And that's, you know, clearly we're trying to de-escalate uh, surgery and that's happening just not in melanoma, but in all sorts of other areas. I think the issue of sentinel node biopsy is becoming uh, more nuanced. Um, yes. 
and we have tools to help us decide who might benefit. And a classic example is the is the uh, nomogram that Serene Lowe and the colleagues at uh, Melanoma Institute of Australia in Sydney have, have developed that, that yep. we use more and more. Yeah. Um, We've got the issue of patients with uh, what is stage 2C disease, stage 2D disease, who have five-year survivals that are worse than the patients who had lymph node involvement. Right. And the big question is going to be whether we offer them adjuvant therapy, some yep. of these new immune therapies and, and other uh, targeted therapies. That, that's, yep. that's a really controversial issue that we're going to see change. We're going to see... Uh, some changes in how we manage the patient with a positive sentinel node, picking those that are likely to benefit from extra therapy versus those who don't need any more. Yep. You know, we see a significant number of patients with, it, it's, it's really beautiful to see the pathologist throw up a slide of a positive sentinel node. And there are so few cells that you can give a name to each cell that's, that's got melanoma in it. And we know right. that that has some prognostic significance, not enormous, but has some prognostic significance. Yeah, so that's that's important. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about um, where we stand with adjuvant therapy. Right. Um, and there's been some really fascinating work about uh, dealing with patients with a positive lymph node, that is palpable lymph node. And there's some early results suggesting that it may be possible to combine limited surgery, some of these newer systemic therapies, particularly the immunotherapy, and avoid a lymphadenectomy. Yeah. Then plays into much better quality of life for people because we know that lymphadenectomy carries with it significant quality of life issues. We'll talk for a significant amount of time about where we stand with uh, the systemic therapies, that is immunotherapy and targeted therapies, particularly the BRAF MEK inhibitors, because sure. I think that's, that's where we're going to see a lot of the developments. And there's some really exciting things happen. New agents coming on like LAG3, another checkpoint inhibitor, um, we're going to see uh, management that's tailored more to the patient. We're going to see uh, regimes and ways that uh, allow us to reduce the toxicity of treatment. And I'm, and I'm going to sort of finish up by sort of talking about some special situations in transit recurrence. There's a little bit new there. Right. Brain metastases are something that's a devastating event for patients with metastatic melanoma and I think we deserve to spend a few minutes just discussing sure. that. Um, and finally, I'm just going to remind everybody that the Australian guidelines are the only evidence-based guidelines in the world, um, and they get updated um, recently, uh, very re recently. Uh, sorry, they get updated um, as new information comes forward, and I think yep. they're a great tool for people to be aware about. So uh, I've rushed through that, Dave, and I'm, if you think I've missed anything, I'm happy to... To, to think about how we might incorporate it, but that's a hell of a lot that we're going to talk about in the in the allotted time. That's, uh, that's fantastic, Michael, and I, I think it's um, good enough reason for to encourage our colleagues to come along to the conference. And I think that from my perspective as a GP, as you know, working working in a very busy primary care skin clinic here on the Sunshine Coast, um, the, the practice of, um, uh, of skin cancer care in, pri in primary care has changed completely in the last, uh, you know, 10, 20 years. What's interesting to me, and not necessarily for a topic in, in your talk, although you, you may or may not want to touch on it, but what I'm experiencing now, very interestingly, is two things. One is that the role of the mainstream GP is different again now in 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 the in the whole pathway of 
melanoma because in my practice and, and a number of colleagues, we are using, as you referred to there, total body photography and AI comparisons over time in anybody with elevated risk. And we are finding, as you, as you know from the research, very early, small, featureless, but invasive melanomas. And you can't do that without this high-resolution photography and, and, and the computer comparing them and, and telling you what's new and what's changed. And that, that opens up a whole issue for discussion with mainstream general practice. In other words, the GP who's seeing patient after patient after patient with a whole spectrum of, 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 of illness day after day, what do we actually, can we reasonably ask of those GPs in terms of skin checks and early melanoma diagnosis? A, a real challenge, I think. And, and then it links to the question then of, well, how do we structure our healthcare so that mainstream GPs can partner up with services like mine and the, the colleagues that work in, in the clinic where I am provide that, if you like, primary plus care or even it's almost you know secondary level care and then it's interesting because beyond where i go michael where i mean i i can do the wide local excisions i can do the repairs no problem but obviously i don't can't and don't want to do sentinel lymph node uh, biopsies if they're when when they're appropriate but what i experience even in even in a, a, a well-resourced and sophisticated setting like the Sunshine Coast in Queensland is very poorly defined care pathways. So when I get somebody with a you know thicker invasive melanoma that needs sentinel lymph node biopsy, there isn't a fully established, fully mature, you know friction-free, easy system for those patients to just drop into and get the necessary sequence of, of care. So, you know, I just put it out there. I, I think the, you know, our developments around, around melanoma have been just mind boggling and, and super exciting, as you rightly say. I think we have a way to go in structuring and organizing the health system to actually have every patient benefit to the, to the max on that. I, I agree with you completely, and, and it's it's not just melanoma where the where the issues lie either. I, I I think that 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 your comment about the role of the GP changing is actually really important, and I, I um see that you can basically break the two sorts of referrals that come to us into well, there's a couple of groups. I've, I'm not going to talk about the patients who are referred by specialists, but such yeah. as general surgeons. Yeah. ENT surgeons, plastic surgeons who, where they've sure. got a patient who's got an advanced melanoma. But talking about, you know, the, the vast majority of patients come from two sorts of practitioners. Um, your, 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 your sort of high-level um, skin clinics where there's a lot of expertise, where there's a lot of turnover, where there's a lot of experience yeah. in yeah. diagnosing. And on the other hand, we see uh, a lot of general practitioners referring patients with melanomas. They've, they've seen a patient with a lesion that they've correctly identified as an issue, which they've biopsied, or they want to think about biopsy. And, you know, look, the fact of the matter is that 75% of the melanoma we see down in Victoria, uh, and I suspect it's the same elsewhere around the, the country, 
um, is going to be T1 melanoma. That is yep. very appropriately managed by the primary general practitioner. And yep. one, of, one of the things that, I, that I'm sort of really passionate about is developing relationships between the primary practitioner and centres such as myself. Yep. You know, I, 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 I can even tell you I've wasted hours and weeks of my life trying to convince government and others that it's worthwhile investing in. So, you know, it's, I've not been successful there, but I'll keep trying. But one of the things that I think, you know, that people such as myself have a responsibility to do is to the patients and the GPs. And, and what I do a lot of times when, uh, when I see them come, when I see, when we see patients come into our referral list is I look down and I can see, see a patient's got a in situ melanoma or a thin melanoma, often in the arm or the leg, yeah. in the nose or the face. And I'll ring the general practitioner. I'll say to him, look, you've done a very nice excision biopsy. It's a great pathology report. This yeah. patient needs this particular procedure, you know, this margin. Are you happy to do it? And yeah. nine times out of 10, first of all, they're delighted to have a call. Yeah. They're delighted to be told they've done a good job, which they have. Yeah. And number three, they're delighted to take on the care of the patient. Yeah. And I'm going to send them a letter with all the recommendations and a couple of references. Yeah. The patient doesn't need to travel. They yeah. get looked after by their general practitioner. It's a win-win for everybody. Yeah. But nobody has actually grasped the way of allowing people like me to talk to general practitioners and general practitioners to talk to me. Yeah. And I reckon that's a disgrace in the, in the 22nd, the 21st century. I agree. Uh, that how we can improve that sort of to and fro. You know, the fact of the matter is it's not funded, but we're just so busy. We've just got to do something to, to reduce the number of people coming in that could be better managed by their local doctor. I'm quite, quite frank about that. They are, yep. you know, you're much better off if you travel five minutes by car or walk 10 minutes to your general practitioner to get treatment that's absolutely top class oh. and, and yep. sanctioned by, by a by someone like me, not that, not that you need to be sanctioned. And I, what I've found I is general practitioners actually, when they start getting into that system, they learn and they don't need to ring me about or talk to me about it in the melanoma inside you. They know what to do. Yeah, I agree. Them. Agree completely. Michael, wonderful to um, see you on the Zoom and, and, and hear from you and look forward very much to seeing you at the conference in, uh, in late July and encourage colleagues to come along and hear from you and our other wonderful speakers. Thanks so much. Thanks, David. I hope I haven't rabbited on too much, but as you can see, I'm fairly passionate about this and uh, I enjoy enormously talking about it. And I'm really looking forward to the conference uh, in July. Thanks so much. That's why we love you. Cheers. All the best. Thank you. Bye now. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, please subscribe so you can get updates whenever we post more and please share it with others. And for more info, please go to helpsert.com.